does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on an absolutely gorgeous Monday. And I think it's going to be a perfect day today because the humidity not supposed to be too high in this All-Star Weekend in Major League Baseball. Good morning to you. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Kevin, we were talking about the Pacers and Summer League. This has become a thing. I mean, people... Uh, converging on Las Vegas, and, and why would you not, if you're an NBA fan and you had the t- if you had the time, go out there? I mean, Vegas, you got pools. It's like an NBA convention now. All of a sudden, like everyone is going to summer league. And Mark Monteith actually had a really good article, fascinating article on the history of the summer league because it's been around forever. It just wasn't really on the radar of the fans until recent years. But just in terms of players that the Pacers discovered via Summer League or some of the greater Pacer players that they've had, how they performed in the Summer League, who played, who didn't. And it kind of gives you a perspective of, to pump the brakes a little bit, but the Pacers do have some pieces that are coming that we already know what they can do as professional basketball players because we've seen them in terms of Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin playing elsewhere. Yeah, and honestly, it makes total sense from a Summer League standpoint for teams to gather out there. First off, it's Vegas. Secondly, if you're the Pacers, I mean, your season ended you know, early April, so you've literally gone three months without being together in a you know serious capacity, and then obviously you want to do it with involving some other guys that are new to the team, and in Bruce Brown's case and Obi Toppin's case, you have that. I would venture to guess there's probably some nights where you're getting together for you know dinner with some of these guys because you do have your coaching staff out there. Obviously, the rookies are out there. Their second summer league game is tonight. Uh, but you had Obi Toppin meet the media yesterday. Something that I didn't... I guess I didn't fully grasp, Jake, until I was watching his press conference. This is a guy that got peppered in that Zoom call yesterday from New York media. And... I didn't realize that he is also a New York native. And so when you talk about a former top 10 pick of the Knicks that did not work out, and then you throw on top of that he is a native of the city, boy, there's going to be a bus label, no questions asked. I'd venture to guess this guy probably had the weight of the world on him when he was drafted by the Knicks. I mean, a hometown guy being taken by that franchise at a point in time where obviously the franchise has had some definite issues here recently. Um, that was a whole lot, I think, on the top and plate there. So he had a he fielded a ton of questions yesterday from a Knicks standpoint on what went wrong. There was some sort of, I guess, verbal altercation reported between him and Tom Thibodeau in the playoffs when Toppa didn't play. Uh, so he's answering questions on that. Nonetheless, he seemed very refreshed whenever a Pacers question was asked to him about this new start. Uh, Mark, if you queue up that um, Obi Toppin, what he's looking to improve on, uh, contract you for him. Here was Obi Toppin yesterday on uh, his improvement here going into his, I believe it's his fourth NBA season. I want to be a sponge this year. I want to learn from coach. I want to learn from all these players. There's a lot of learning that I can do, and, and it's going to only help me. So I'm ready for that and can't wait to get out there and do that. You know, it's encouraging. 
You almost wonder, Kevin, when you are, as you talked about, you're a New York native, your father was a player, your brother is a player, you're a lottery pick at a franchise that is the media capital of the world that is right on the cusp. I think in the, you know, there's optimism within New York about the Knicks because it's been a long time since they've actually been a playoff level team. But yet Knicks fans always are going to find something to be disgruntled about. And so maybe that's Obi Toppin, although I think he was a popular player as a guy. But one would think that if it doesn't work out for a player especially in a New York, you're looking for a second lease. You're looking for a restart, a a total reset. And doing it off the radar and as kind of more hidden, I, I know in the NBA nowhere is hidden, but in comparison to New York, this kind of just gives him the opportunity to quietly go about his business and try to like reinvent himself a little bit or prove himself a little bit without the bright lights of New York City. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just, I, it's just such a different animal from New York. I would think that that would be something that Obi Toppin would be realizing that this is probably a really good place for him. He spoke yesterday, by the way, about the fact that this is kind of a fresh start uh, for Obi Toppin in terms of the opportunity now for him in franchise number two with the Indiana Pacers. It's going to be great just because something new I'm I'm going into. But like I said before, like it's a bunch of great players, coaches, everybody who's here is great. So like I said, I can't wait to get started, get down in Indy and, and get it started. You know, I know Rick Carlisle really harped on this at the press conference late last week, you know, and he couldn't mention Toppin by name, but he certainly didn't hesitate from hinting at the the extra move the Pacers were going to have be announced shortly, and they announced it on Friday. You know, Toppin is known for his athleticism. Obviously, he's an NBA dunk champ. We all saw his highlights at Dayton to be National College Basketball Player of the Year, all of those things. So at the bare minimum, you put him on the floor with a guy that has Tyrese Halliburton's quarterback instincts, you're going to get some easy baskets in transition via Halliburton and Toppin. There is no debating that whatsoever. And I think with Bruce Brown and a, certainly Toppin, but a little bit of Bruce Brown as well, some of the Pacers moves this offseason kind of got me back to thinking, boy, and this is several drafts ago. Jake, what year was the draft that the Pacers took Cassius Stanley? I'm going to guess that was like around... 19 or 20, is that right? Uh, yeah, I was. I didn't know if it was the COVID draft or it was the one prior to that or 2020, not. 2020, 54th overall pick. So it was the COVID draft? Uh-huh. Yeah, which I guess that now makes sense when I, when I explain the story. Because that night, we had a Zoom with Chad Buchanan and, you know, Pacers GM, who you guys have heard Chad with us before. I mean, he's extremely candid. I always think he's got a, not afraid to share kind of the, the internal pulse of how the Pacers view their roster. And when they drafted Stanley, and obviously Stanley did not work out, but when they drafted him, Chad said that night, like, we need to get more athletic. And I think you watch the Pacers and you go to Pacers games. One thing that stands out to you about going to Pacers games, I would say more often than not, they are not the most athletic team on the floor that night. The Pacers are skilled. I mean, they they, they have skill, but... Their athleticism, when you rank the teams 1-30 to in the NBA with that, I would not put them anywhere close to the top. And 
it's clearly been an organizational goal over the last few years to try and get more athletic. I'd probably throw in, along with athleticism, versatile. That would be the other thing that you would like to see a few more kind of interchangeable pieces to go along with that athleticism. And I think Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin kind of fit into that bucket. Certainly Toppin being much more the high flyer, but Bruce Brown's versatility, he's a very good athlete as well. Those guys fall into that boat. And I think when you have, again, when you have a Halliburton, or even when you throw out a Buddy Heald, I don't think you'd label either of them as just these you know, peak NBA athletes when you compare them to other players at their positions, but they bring a ton of skill in other areas, and part of Halliburton's skill specifically is to make the most out of that athleticism. Just throw lobs Isaiah Jackson and have him dunk the basketball. Same thing with Obi Toppin, and I think Bruce Brown can offer that as well. So while you want Obi Toppin to top in, to tap into excuse me, more of kind of that, hey, this is how he shoots when he's a starter versus when he's a reserve and these numbers look drastically different and we feel like he can you know reach more of that potential with consistent minutes coming his way, yeah, that is all true. But at the bare minimum, his athleticism, pair that with Tyrese Halliburton, that should lead to a lot of easy buckets for the Pacers. Uh, Rick Carlisle pointed out during the introduction to Tyrese Halliburton's contract extension that Indiana went back and looked at some of the cyber metrics, to use that term, some of the advanced statistics from last year in the NBA, and there was kind of a weird nuanced stat about players' efficiency offensively in transition or in faster-moving sets, and the three players that had the highest score in this somewhat obscure stat, but the three players that scored the highest were Tyrese Halliburton, Bruce Brown Jr., who is now on his way here, who we'll hear from later, uh, from Denver, and then Obi Toppin. And I think when you look at Tyrese Halliburton and the way that he works with some players in pick and roll, Isaiah Jackson certainly comes to mind in that style of play. Toppin is another that that's an area where he might be able to help out so the question is, Indiana wants to play, obviously, at a faster pace. Obi Toppin, your thoughts on the playing style of your new team? It's no secret. Everybody knows what I do best on the court, run the floor, energy guy. And this is a young group who likes to run, was one of the fastest, if not the fastest team in the league. So yeah, like I'm super excited to get out of here, get some leak out dunks. That's the kind of dunks I prefer, are leak out dunks, hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, usually leaking is not a good thing, but um, yeah, I would say in Obi Toppin's case, he's made a living out he, of doing that. I think he's an intriguing player. I think he's an intriguing yeah. player and intriguing prospect. And I'm a fan of it. Again, it's two second round picks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, hell, the Pacers. I don't know if Mojave King, the second round pick, even got in the game the other night in the first summer league contest. Like, oftentimes it is throwing a dart at a dartboard from a hundred feet away, just praying and hoping something hits there. Kick the tires on a former lottery pick. Uh, we mentioned earlier some of the positives from the Pacers Summer League as it got underway Saturday night and they beat the Wizards. Jarris Walker's defense and just his overall feel of the game certainly topped that list. Uh, ben Shepard, the other first-round pick, he did start very, very quiet. 0 for 4 in 28 minutes from Shepard. I am curious, Jake. Tonight, the Pacers play again. I think it's an 8.30 tip. I believe that's NBA TV, by the way, so... Um, ESPN two, it is Mark. Yes, NBA TV for the Pacers tonight. Um, so maybe the viewing won't be as abundant for Pacers fans. But if this is the last game for the likes of Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nemhard, Isaiah Jackson, you know some of your veterans out there in summer league, 
does that offer more opportunity for guys like Ben Shepard? Mentioned uh, Mojave King, their other second-round pick. Oscar Shibway only played eight minutes off the bench the other night. Uh, do you see a little bit more opportunity for some of those guys? So, again, for those that missed it, Matherin had 27 points, as you would expect uh, him to dominate Summer League from a scoring standpoint. Would have liked to have seen a little bit more playmaking out of him in other areas because we certainly know he can score in the league. Andrew Nemar did have a good amount of turnovers, but he was in full control uh, with his points and assists, 14 and 8. Isaiah Jackson, how about this stat line? 21 points, 14 rebounds, and 8 fouls. Got to work on that latter one. Right? He's got a fouling issue. Yeah. I mean, some of that is when you are used to blocking shots in your athleticism, then you've got to – you find yourself out of position sometimes because you're so used to being able to come in late with your athleticism, and then you're out of position. And when you start going up against guys with a little more speed and quickness, you got some problems. Yeah, again, fouling has been a problem for him in NBA games, and certainly was that the other night out in Vegas. All right, more on the Pacers here coming up in a bit. And also, we will get into Max Clark going third overall. That is the Franklin High School product drafted last night by the Detroit Tigers. Pretty cool scene down in Franklin. Akeem Gillespie from the Star was there. We'll get his thoughts on Max Clark being the top high school player drafted here in this 2023 MLB draft. A good Monday morning to you. It's a beautiful day outside. Thanks for tuning in. Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Well, it was a busy Sunday night here from a local standpoint for our next guest, Keem Glasby, who covers a little bit of everything for the Indianapolis Star, but I would say part of his recent beat coverage has been that of Max Clark, the high school standout from Franklin, Indiana, who went number three overall last night to the Detroit Tigers. Keem was down in Franklin for that. It was quite the scene, and he joins us now, Kim, if you don't mind, I thought you did a great job last night, you know, giving us some pictures and videos from, 
I guess was it was that Max's house you originally had, and then you went over downtown Franklin to a pretty cool kind of fan fest event where Max spoke and signed some autographs and yeah, did the whole hubbub. So if you don't mind, let's begin there. What was kind of the scene setter last night for finding out Max went number three overall to a little bit of a tour of downtown Franklin? Yeah, um, it was uh, quite the event, I would say. There was uh, probably a couple hundred people gathered at Max's house. And, uh, you know, just uh, being around Max, he's, he's very comfortable in the spotlight and, and around, you know, uh, people. And uh, he just seemed very cool and calm and collected for someone whose life was about to change, you know, uh, in, in a couple hours. So, yeah, he, he definitely, you know, kind of uh, embraced the day and enjoyed it. But I would say once the draft got closer, you know, things start, the tension started to set in a little bit. But uh, luckily for him, he didn't have to wait very long with him uh, being drafted number three overall. And then that's kind of when the party really started, you know, more pictures and whatnot and then yeah a limo ride downtown to downtown franklin where there was you know probably 500 uh you know fans and local supporters out there to cheer him on and he, he definitely took the time to sign a lot of autographs and adjust the crowd and it was just kind of a a great scene kind of a you know a greeting of a local celebrity so to say and uh the, the franklin community has definitely supported max and embraced max and he does the same for them he seems very appreciative of you know all the support that they give him Akeem, for those that are unfamiliar, this is the kind of player that is being drafted very high, Detroit taking him third overall, because of his ability to power hit, because of his ability to placement hit, because he's a multiple like Mike Trout five-tool type player. What is it that is his selling feature that has led to this kind of, obviously, prognostication of baseball success for him? Yeah, I would say that the five-tool potential is there in terms of um, speed, power, fielding, hitting, and, you know, uh, contact and arm strength. But right now, I would say the only thing he's lacking is power. But right now, he's a, a double-plus uh, fielder, a double-plus uh speed on the bases and that helps him you know translate to his fielding ability and his arm strength is kind of elite as well in terms of the way he can you know just make throws on the outfield and he was 95 miles per hour off the mound too as a lefty so that just kind of speaks to the arm strength that he has but it's really a contact over hitting ability over power hitting ability right now um he's someone who hit over 600 as a senior in high school over 500 for his career he has just a, a great feel for the strike zone and the hand-eye coordination is elite so that's kind of he's kind of like a typical number one two hitter at the moment um but uh that power can develop over time and to make him a true five tool uh player eventually over 600 in high school (laughs) the high school stats are absolutely astonishing again more on max clark we've got akeem glaspie with us here from the indianapolis star and the payless liquors hotline Akeem, i was hoping you could get a little bit more into the draft aspect to it because it seemed like leading into last night there was still some like lingering chatter on he possibly could go number one overall and that would have been the pirates obviously their triple a affiliate right here in in indianapolis so as best you know, could you kind of fill us in on a little bit more background on like the draft process for him, the signing bonus element to it, why he was being discussed potentially at number one overall? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say in, you know, nine out of ten years, Max has a great chance to go number one overall. Again, just with his five-tool ability and just uh, everything, the intangibles, the work ethic, everything he brings. But, you know, there were two really talented college players ahead of Max and uh, LSU pitcher Paul Skeens and LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz. But, you know, up until shortly before the draft, there was still a possibility that Max could go number one because uh, in the MLB draft, you know, each draft slot, draft slide is slotted, you know, by a certain value in terms of the amount of money that they could pay each player. And it was reported that, you know, Dylan Cruz wanted, you know, over the slot value, which would be like over $9 million. And, you know, Max being uh, a high school player, he might've been able to take a deal for under that slot. I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, the Pirates go with Paul Skeens, but uh, it's, it, it could have been a money thing, you know, in terms of giving Max an under underslot uh, value contract and then using the savings to, you know, spend more in the later round. So that's where it gets a little tricky with the MLB draft. It's not always about, you know, taking the best player. You kind of have to negotiate and uh, get, get the deal that serves the team the best. And ultimately, you know, the Pirates went a different way. But, for, yeah, for Max, it was definitely it was definitely a good chance he could have went number one, uh, and he didn't really find that out until yesterday. Okay, and then I think you, you mentioned this last night. He went number three overall, but his signing bonus is the number four signing bonus. Could you explain a little bit the reasoning behind that? Um, yeah, um, so that, uh, again, that kind of comes into the – the, the the slot games that that are being paid um i uh so if you go number three you know obviously has a certain value and number four has a slightly less value so i guess that's kind of just maybe taking a team-friendly contract in that way as because you know if he, if he would have been drafted a little later then uh the value decreases by each pick so i guess it's just kind of just taking a you know helping out the team a little bit and signing uh under value instead of going over value um I guess uh, it, it comes down to leverage and things like that. I mean, Max was committed to Vanderbilt. Uh, he could have obviously, you know, chosen to go that route. But it's uh, high school players, they have some leverage in that way. But ultimately, you know, he decides to take a contract that maybe helps out, you know, the Tigers a little bit. $7.7 million, by the way, is that signing bonus for the fourth slot. Okay, so my question on is this, and I've, I've never fully understood this. In the Major League Baseball draft, I mean, obviously you have players being drafted out of college. You have players being drafted out of high school. What is the time frame in terms of when a player has to decide whether or not he goes and honors his college commitment? And then if that's the case, what is it, three years before he can re-enter the draft and, and do it all over again? Um, I, I believe it's uh, – if, if you're an older freshman, if you're 19, then I believe – you can sign after two years. So I think you have to be 21 or, or 20. I'm not exactly sure. But, yeah, it's either two or three years that you have to honor your commitment to college. And, you know, to declare for the, the – there's no really, like, written process. You kind of are just uh, available to be drafted. So, I mean, you can get drafted and still choose to attend college. Or, obviously, once you sign your pro contract and you're a, a pro player. So that's kind of the process there. And, you know, high school players like to uh, kind of – you know, keep it vague and use their college commitments as leverage to make teams maybe go over slot to sign them away from a, a, a school. That's what they say. They're kind of signing them away or out of their commitment to college. So it's it's all kind of games and um, semantics and things like that in terms of, you know, how much money they can get and how much money they command. Okay, let me read off to you guys some names here. And once I'm done with the names, Akeem, Kevin, both, you guys tell me which one you think is the best player, Okay. Uh, over the course of baseball, like history, if you will. Uh, Dustin Hermanson, Troy Glouse, Corey Patterson, 
Uh, Donovan Tate, who is the son of former running back Lars Tate. Trevor Bauer, uh, Manny Machado, Steve Avery. Any of those jump out at you? Certainly Machado. Uh, I mean, Bauer, Glass, uh, Corey Patterson. They were all taken third overall. Oh, well, I I would say that's that's pretty good history. Pretty good company, right? Yes, I'd say so. Uh, Akeem, the other one that I was kind of curious about, and this dates back to the fall. I mean, Max Clark decided to play high school football. I mean, the dude just signed a signing bonus for seven point seven million, and here he is trying to move the chains against you know Danville on a Friday night in late August. Obviously, I absolutely love the fact that he was uh, you know willing to play a second sport. Certainly, he's risking a whole lot there by that. Do you know was there like any sort of insurance policy with that? Um, I know he had some commitments with baseball. They didn't play the full high school season, but he still played a good amount of games when he was available to play for Franklin. Yeah, I would imagine that, that he would have an insurance policy. I, I actually never asked him that, but I know that there was no hesitation in terms of him shooting up to play football his senior year. I mean, again, he's someone who's very community-driven and kind of just uh, really believes in you know honoring his community and where he's from, and he takes a lot of pride in that. So he grew up with a lot of his friends, you know, through youth ball playing through as kids and up through high school and middle school and whatnot. So it was really important for him to kind of have that senior season, and I guess it just kind of speaks to him as a person that yes with uh, literal millions of dollars on the line that he's uh, out there breaking tackles and lining up at wide receiver and he's I mean he's the best athlete on the field so I guess the the risk is a little different than you know if me or you are, are shooting up out there but uh, yeah that was uh, kind of just speaks to his, his character that he decided to do that you know to help out his team in any way he could so what is the immediate future then for him he ends up going where and that begins when uh, I would imagine he'd be headed to rookie ball in Florida. That's the uh, Florida Complex League. Uh, relatively soon, uh, you know, there might be some type of uh, instructions and, and, and whatnot, you know, uh, orientations with the team and whatnot. And then uh, he'll be in Florida at rookie ball. And, you know, he could kind of, his play might dictate how long he's there. Uh, he could be, you know, the rest of the season. It could be a couple weeks. And then the next stop would be low A baseball. And then from there, he just continued to climb the ladder, you know, from high A to double A to triple A, and then hopefully one day to the majors. Akeem Glaspie's our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. We're talking about the Major League Baseball draft. Max Clark going third overall out of Franklin Community High School to the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Akeem, I've always wondered this, and I'm curious just in covering this story and talking to people how big an issue it is. And I'm almost embarrassed to ask it because it's such a simple thing. How much does if a kid knows that he is a major league prospect and he's playing in high school where you can use aluminum bats, and I have no idea, do higher prospect high school players start converting converting to wood bats, or have they already done that? Is this the dumbest question ever? Because I would think that there is a hitting difference with them. Correct. Yeah, I mean, I would say when you're playing with your high school, it's pretty much strictly aluminum bats. Um, I'm sure, you know, when Matt's, Matt's is on the showcase circus and, you know, other top prospects are playing certain showcases where the wood bats are permitted, then they'll use wood bats there to kind of, you know, get the, the exit velocities that correlate to using wood bats. Because, yes, if you're using aluminum, those will be kind of, you know, accelerated a bit. But uh, when you're playing high school, it's pretty much exclusively aluminum. It's quite the scene last night down in Franklin, Indiana, and Akeem Glasby from the Star painted that picture uh, for you guys, certainly from a readership standpoint. Also, if you follow him on social media, I did a great job with that. Akeem, I know it was a late night for you, so I appreciate you waking up with us here on this Monday morning and sharing more about Max's story. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. 
It could not be more. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Perfect out to start a Monday here in terms of the weather. Good morning to you, Jake Query, along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton. Nine o'clock hour underway here in India. It's a nine o'clock hour technically everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. Um, last week, we, we heard earlier in the program from Obi Toppin, newest pacer who comes from New York. Then, of course, the big free agent signing was that of Bruce Brown Jr., who comes from Denver. And he met with the local media. Was that Thursday, guys? Yes, Thursday Sounds last right, week. yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank you to the Pacers for having us out there and then afterwards allowing each of us the opportunity to talk to him. So I got a chance to talk to Bruce Brown Jr., who really nice guy. He had with him his agent. Um, family members were with him. And kind of a soft-spoken guy, but but really friendly. And I asked him a, a series of different questions to kind of get to know him a little bit and just find out exactly his thought process now of joining Indiana. This is a player that has played for the Nets, then went, obviously, played with the Nuggets, wins a championship, now comes here. Tyrese Halliburton had called him because Halliburton knew that they had interest in Bruce Brown. Halliburton wanted to play with him, made a phone call, gave a sales pitch. The New York Knicks had also talked to Brown, but he chose Indiana. Part of that probably is the money that he's going to get. For the Pacers, they needed to meet a salary floor in terms of the salary cap. But also, my first question for him was this, and we had talked about this, guys, on the show. Whenever you win a championship, players get plucked away from championship-winning teams. And oftentimes, the fact that they were on a championship-winning team seems to prioritize for for a new franchise over exactly what they do because it's like well but the thing is he just won a ring so he's a, he's a winner and then i think guys get miscast because they get placed into situations that are bigger than what they are used to being and they're just not used they're not able to handle that and in the case of bruce brown that was my question for him was in terms of the role that he sees for himself with indiana is indiana going to ask him to be basically the same player he was in denver or is Indiana going to ask him to be a more elevated role, which asks more of him than what he has been used to? And here's what Bruce Brown had to say about it. Um, I think that would be up to coach um, or what I do on the court. Um, I don't really see it in any kind of way on the offensive end. Um, but defensively, KCP was the start, starting on the best offensive player. And this next year, I'll be doing that, hopefully. Um, so on the defensive end, yes, uh, a big step up. But the offensive end, um, if it happens, it happens. By the way, he's talking about Caldwell Pope there and when he says KCP, former teammate in Denver. You know, I think something, maybe watching Saturday night, 
or yeah, Saturday night. It got me thinking of the Pacers Summer League. You know, and Jarris Walker and Bruce Brown, they have got two different body types of guys that excel in the defensive end of the floor. And I think when you think about the guards and the wings of the Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum types, I do think those will be kind of Bruce Brown sorts of assignments. You know, maybe a Giannis falls a little bit more into the Jarris Walker type of assignment. Um, a little bit of a longer guy that could, you know, I don't know, just hope and pray that does something to slow him down. But it's like now we talk about the Pacers with legit options. And I don't think we've had that in several years for them from a defensive standpoint. And it's versatile options that, you know, I feel like the Pacers have often been hunted from an opposing offense that says, oh, wait, I'm going to find, you know, the weak two, three defenders. Oh, wow, you have a lot of them out on the floor. Uh, This is going to be easy to try and get that matchup that we want to exploit, whether it's, you know, whatever. We want Sabonis guarding a guard or, you know, something like that. And I feel like when you're able to put a Bruce Brown out there, you're able to put a Jairus Walker out there, now you limit the other team's ability to, again, try and kind of play that you know, checkers versus chess game with you because that is so much of what I think the NBA is about advantage-wise. Hey, try and create that with you. Um, Bruce Brown seems like a pretty serious dude, Jake, when he was meeting the media. Just seems like it, like nothing crazy expansive with his answers. Uh, loves country music, right? He does. Big fan of that and is a guy that I think is pretty all business. Seemed very down to earth. I mean, just very like not overly caught up in um, the hype, so to speak. Just kind of focused on what he needs to do. That includes his defense, which is something that, you know, it's one thing to have the athleticism and to have the ability defensively. It's another to know that you the defense is your calling card and to have just strictly a mentality about it every time you step on the floor which it appears as though that's exactly the thought process when it comes to defense of Bruce Brown Jr. Yeah. Clearly that's how you see it too. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a defensive minded player. Um that's how I got my niche in the league. That's how I've stayed in the league. So um I don't really worry about the offensive end. I'll take care of itself, but the defensive end is where I pride. Now the thing is with that when you go out on the floor and you're playing defense like that, you're always trying to overcome somebody, right, and shut them down. And for Bruce Brown Jr., I think the thing that's interesting, former five-star recruit, then goes to Miami, plays at Miami a little bit off the radar, later round pick or later pick in the NBA draft, and now what I believe is, what, his third team in four years. So question is, Bruce, are you kind of a guy that's always having to prove yourself? I think it's just always me trying to prove myself um, and then prove to other people that how good I am. Um, and that doesn't change here. Um, I still got to prove that I can do it on both ends of the floor, but definitely the defensive end um, and, and uh, have a huge impact on, on this team. Do you remember David West? <laughs> sure, yeah. It, it, it seems to me like he has kind of a David West type mentality. Like David West was clearly the adult in the room, right? Oh, yeah. Although, Capital A D U L T. There were times with David West where I felt like he he was a little more bark than bite, but he did have a tone about him. Thaddeus Young is the same way, right? And the Pacers lack that, Kevin. They've lacked that, right? They who who was there? You know, who's the guy? Did you, last year if there had been problems in the locker room, who was the guy that you felt like was going to stand up and, and be like, "No, it stops right here." Who was that guy? Yeah, I mean, probably you know, George Hill or J- James Johnson. You know, you got to go way down the bench 
for that. I don't know if TJ McConnell would fall into that boat. I mean, you tend to go with some veteran guys. Yeah, obviously the Caliburton will continue to grow into wanting more of that. Um, you know, I think on the floor they've got some guys that just bring a presence. Like I think TJ McConnell brings a presence on the floor of a you know standard to play to. Benedict Matherin, I think, brings that as well. I think a guy like Jairus Walker. I mean, you you watch him even in small burst on Saturday. You certainly see a guy that is going to kind of meet the. Yeah, I like watching him play, and I think Bruce Brown is is like that. You can't have a team full of those guys because you obviously need just some absolute. You know, stud scores in an NBA that if you aren't scoring 110, 120 a night, you're going to get run off the floor. But over the course of an 82 game season where there's lulls and there's kind of quiet moments, guys that are just going to show up and give it 82 nights out of the year, that can be the difference where they're at from a standing standpoint. And obviously, I think we still have one big domino to fall, Jake, here in the NBA, maybe two if you want to throw James Harden situation in there. But the Damian Lillard one's a big one. And, you know, Lillard coming to Miami would certainly impact the Eastern Conference. I I really think the goal for the Pacers this season should be a playoff berth that's not in the play-in. Oh, I'd agree with that. I look at them and think five, six seed. And I think that's realistic. I think that should be the goal. Uh, Halliburton has done a lot of these various interviews now that he's out in Vegas, a little bit more kind of a national focus from it. And even just with his answers, and obviously it's good to hear if you're a Pacers fan, He's kind of like, all right, you know, enough of this. You know, we're Indiana. We surprised some teams last year. You know, here I am. You know, change of scenery for me. Like, it's time to now win. And it's time to learn how to win, know how to win, get used to that, play in bigger moments, all of those things. I think the whole plucky, cute story from last year can kind of be put to the side now. It's time to have some tangible results. You know, the... For guys like Brown, and, and I think those results come partially, Kevin, in solidifying your roster, perhaps moving forward. Rick Carlisle had said on Thursday that he thought it was possible that they could move up into the 45, even 50 win range. If that were the case, then certainly you're talking 4-5 or five seed in the next step of this Pacers rebuild. For Brown, you look at it and you go, okay, so the New York Knicks called. Tom Thibodeau's a defensive-minded coach. Seems like that would be a fit. Madison Square Garden's probably the coolest venue in basketball, and certainly New York is the media capital of the world. But he chooses the Pacers, which leads to the question for Bruce Brown Jr., what exactly drew him to Indianapolis? Uh, just a perfect fit, as I said. The first, the number one in transition. Um, I love to get out and run, um, throw lobs, just have fun out there. Um, and then the players here, they want to win. Um, Buddy, Miles, they've been the league for a few years, so just try to come here and help. Two-year deal, right, Kevin? Yeah, second-year team option, which, again, that is something that I don't think you can overlook if for some reason this does not go according to plan or, you know, you hate to think like this, but you know, what if there's a big injury that happens to your team and all of a sudden the Pacers aren't in that 5-6 seed and they miss the playoffs and now you're like, oh boy, we're kind of resetting some things. Then you can maneuver how you would like to. So, In both these moves, the trade for Obi Toppin and the deal for Bruce Brown, nothing is on the books outside of this year. And then in Bruce Brown's case, you've got a team option if you want it for next season. Pacers got tons of cap space. Tons of cap space next year, and that's with Halliburton's extension kicking in. And so that makes you wonder if Bruce Brown doesn't go into this year. You raised the point, Kevin. I thought it was a great point last week when we were talking about it. You're like, look, does he basically see this as yet another contract year? Because even though he got the big contract, 
he wants to extend it perhaps even more so. Uh, so that is the question for Bruce. Is it a contract year for him? Listen, I, I need to prove myself every year. I'm, every time I'm out on the floor, and, I'm, and I will do that. You got to like that answer, Straight right? to the point. Yeah. I like the uh, Pacers jerseys the other night in Summer League. What did you like about them? I, I just thought they were clean and crisp. Simple. Just aggressive navy blue. The gold stood out. You know the Pacer jersey? I thought jersey, the letters weren't anything crazy. I was a fan of them. The Pacer jersey that doesn't get enough love is, and they. I think it was like 85, 86, 87. So like a three-year stretch where they wore them. Reggie wore them as a rookie. I think of them as the Wayman Tisdale jerseys. But they were like a royal blue, and they had Pacers across the chest, and it had kind of the, the, the in-motion print, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know I yeah. think that's an underrated. It's probably the, a similar time frame to this hat, right? The the corduroy hat. Yeah, the corduroy hat. There's eighty seven, eighty eight. That hat is sweet. I also like the Pacer shorts that has the the old Pacer logo on the hip. Like that's the way to go with that. Hmm. As opposed to on the closer to the knee. No, or, like on the side. Like the 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 there was like maybe oh, one you, year. You, you don't mean like the hip of where you would wear the shorts. I see what you're saying. Like on the yeah on the side the uh-huh. side hip. Um. Listen, these are all things that, you know, Bruce Brown, in terms of the jerseys that he's going to wear, um, places where he might be able to watch live music, maybe restaurants. There, you know, there's all kinds of things to know about a city when you are coming into it for the first time. I don't know how much Bruce Brown uh, knew about Indianapolis other than the fact that it wasn't New York and he turned down the Knicks to come here. So I guess that's the question. What's he know about our fair city? I need to learn a lot. I don't really know too much about the city, um, except the Indy 500, the Colts. Now, I hear you like country music. Love country music. So so if you were to go to a concert here, who would I it would be? definitely uh, it'd be Luke Holmes, Morgan Wallen. But I'll, I'll let it go to all of them. Like, so I'm, like Farm Aid is supposed to come in here. Will you go to that? Who's that? Farm Aid's like one of these conglomerate. Oh, when it's got that? like a, I think it's, I don't know, they're supposed to announce it later today. I might be spilling the beans. I don't know. I would, I would go, yes, 100%. All right, so we need to make sure you get to Farm Aid. That's option Yes, I would definitely be there. If all right. country's there, I'm there. Welcome to Indianapolis. Thank you. Now, I don't know for certain, is Farm Aid coming here? I, I had heard a rumor of that so last just throwing week. out rumors? Just well, that's, that's what you're doing? Yeah, like I heard a rumor about it, and then I don't know if that, if hey, that ever happened. Anything to get Bruce Brown to Indy, right? <laughs> right. Like, maybe that's just what they said to him. You're probably just going the here. beans to Farm Aid. Like, we're going to Indy? Who told us that? Yeah, they I, used I, to. Um, do they still sell, like, the big mega ticket uh, out there at Ruoff? You know, uh, X like amount a of season your, pass? Well, like, it was. I think it was more of a country-centric pass. Oh, really? You know, what you got eight to ten acts. I don't know. Do you guys like country music? No. Uh, Not not to the degree that Bruce Brown does, no. Mark, wow. Like, you you hesitated none on that. Not a big country guy. I mean, a summer, a 90 degree day when you're out by the water, this and that. I I can listen to a couple country songs, but I can't say I'm dialing up much more than that. You know, I think of that one song about the fella talking about how a long neck, ice cold beer never broke his heart. Mm -hmm. Because I've heard it every commercial break for four months. And that is Luke Combs, right? Is that Luke I Combs? I have no idea. He's the guy, the, the big dude. College game day, they had him on this year. See, uh, to me... Gosh, we're nearing college football. There there are several of these guys, to me, that like now are all in the same... And I'm sure people that are country music fans would like throw me down a flight of stairs over this. But like the Luke Combs, and then there's... Isn't there a Dirks Bentley fella? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... He's got a popular bar in Nashville. You know, there's like these like early to mid-30s age... Not like heart, not like the the Hank Williams style country music, 
but more of like the pop country, like the George, Florida Georgia Line level country music. They all kind of go together in my mind. We haven't chatted about it a whole lot today. I know the pop quiz coming up in a bit, but Pat Fitzgerald, is he going to get fired? Oof. It's Those new details detail seem like, yeah, that could very much happen. And, and Mark, Here's, I, 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 I want to just hit on Mark's point right there. He said new details. New details that I guess the university just bypassed in its original investigation. It almost seems like, oh, wait, our student newspaper found that out? Oh, we, we didn't find that out originally. Let me rethink the two-week yeah, suspension for our head football coach. Not good when the university president's like, I think I erred in this two-week suspension. It's like, yeah, you probably did. Here's, here's the challenge, guys. And part of this is the fault of universities. Fault of, part of this is the fault of sports. Part of this is the fault of society. And part of it is the fault of no one. We have long since surpassed the era where a football or a basketball coach at a university is making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and then is augmenting that salary or adding to it by running a shoe camp or wearing a sweater with a couple logos on it. These are multi, multi, multi million dollar positions. So as a result of that, the person who holds on to them is going to do everything they can to hold on to that position, Bob Huggins. And the schools are going to make sure that in the process of determining discipline of those and et cetera, that they are doing everything they can to protect themselves because we now live in not only a very litigious society, but one that has given obscene amounts of money to officials within athletics. And, and in particular in college athletics. I don't know Pat Fitzgerald. We had him on this program a few months ago, and I thought he was delightful on the radio. That means nothing in terms of – and that's the biggest thing that I think people fail to realize in all areas of sports that we cover. When we talk about the athletes of particular franchises, when we talk about the coaches, we don't know these people behind closed doors. We have no idea more often than not what they're truly like. The challenge about the question of is he going to get fired is it's very easy when you read the allegations of hazing at Northwestern football. Everything from guys having to get naked and do simulated sexual acts to guys getting singled out because they're freshmen underperforming and having to do extra stuff from a physical standpoint. It's very easy to immediately go, that guy's got to be fired. And the, the, the correct answer is, if these are proven to be true, then he has to be fired. But the immediate knee-jerk of, we got to fire this guy, is a dangerous thing only because there is no doubt if these allegations are true, he's gone. Didn't they say it was true, though? Why did they suspend him for two weeks in the first place? They suspended him for two weeks while they investigated it, once the allegations were surfaced. The challenge is this. When you have a football program of 100 kids, there are always going to be, and and I want to make very clear here that this is not me saying that this is the case in any way, shape, or form. This is me simply presenting all sides of the spectrum. When you have a college football, a big-time Division I, Big Ten, Power Five program that has probably 100 scholarship players on it, there are always going to be five to ten percent 
that are convinced that they are getting a raw deal. This guy doesn't like me. This guy, he chose a freshman to play over me. He, he told me once in practice I wasn't working hard enough. Whatever it might be, you are always going to have, especially when you're talking about 18 to 22-year-old males, right? And so as a result of that, before you immediately react and fire a guy, you have to wade through whether or not what you are hearing is an embellishment or a fabrication by somebody who has a vendetta against the coach or a program now having said all of that that's not to say that and i want to make very clear i'm not saying that's what the case is here but what i'm saying is when you're talking about multi-million dollar contracts on the line and payouts and buyouts and etc you've got to make emphatically clear that that is not the situation and that requires a long detailed amount of research into it that requires emphatic 100% lock-solid proof that these things took place. And it becomes a he said, he said, he said deal, right? Because you have some players that are like, this absolutely is true. And then others are like, it's not true at all. And, and, and the defense, now, do I think that this took place? I would say, yes, there probably is some, there, there absolutely appears to be a lot of smoke around the fire. But all I am saying is when you are dealing with the legal process of somebody, now at a private university, it's different than a state university, but when you're dealing with the amount of money that would take place in the buyout of somebody like that, you've got to make sure that you are absolutely certain and that you are doing it more on phone calls and foot lockers. And, and that's what they're doing, I would assume. Yeah, I thought the two weeks was odd. I thought indefinite... Suspension would have made more sense uh, in that case. Clearly, it was something well. I pretty think what serious. happened was initially they said, you know, listen, somebody popped up and said something, so we're going to set him aside for two weeks while we try to figure this out. And then more stuff comes out, so then it's like, okay, we do. I think they used that two week period to determine whether or not this was something they needed to to dive further into. And, and when the president's saying I aired, that that tells you everything that you need to know. I mean, I don't think it was taken as seriously as it should have. That's probably true. At the start, and again, I thought the student newspaper, by all accounts, uh, did much more of an extensive job than the university has done so far. Uh, we'll obviously see how it plays out over the next month or so. You would think they would want something done before training camp starts for Northwestern, but I think we all can agree on this. The acts itself, uh, obviously alarming, but it's not like Pat Fitzgerald has been some college football coach that deserves to keep his job from an on-field well, standpoint. I mean, they won, what, one game last year? Correct. They won two Big Ten games over the last two years? Correct. But, Kevin, the reality is if, if these allegations are true, it doesn't matter what the record sure. is. But I think there is reason. It's not like you're holding on to Nick Saban here. Right. I, I get it. Although there was a time where that was thought of him, right? Uh, by the way, speaking of, while we're on the subject, I guess, of – um, investigations and things like that from a Big Ten standpoint. Uh, former Michigan State trainer Dr. Larry Nasser, who of course is serving over 100 years of a sentence in prison for sexual abuse of gymnasts at Michigan State University, uh, stabbed overnight in prison in Florida and is listed in stable condition but suffered stabs to the chest and the back yesterday. That would not be a good position to be at in prison with those charges against him and the arrogance of which he displayed in court.